Welcome to the Sales Talent Recruitment Podcast, brought to you by the Canadian Professional Sales Association. In this CPSA podcast episode, we'll consider some major steps to follow in order to ensure that your company doesn't lose top sales people to the competition. Our guest this time is Jamie Shanks, author, speaker, and one of North America's leading social selling experts. Jamie is CEO at Sales for Life. One of the key outcomes of the company's social selling mastery training program is learning how to reduce churn. So let's investigate. For sales professionals, team leaders, and organizations across the country, the Canadian Professional Sales Association is your partner in building knowledge and skills to improve sales performance. The CPSA is the advocate for excellence in sales. We invest resources in programming, curriculum development, and professional designations to help individuals and companies become more successful through effective sales. We connect employers and employees, business with academia, and the private sector with government to advance the sales profession and improve Canadian competitiveness. Learn more at cpsa.com and remember to subscribe to the cpsa podcast through itunes google play and more jamie welcome to the show bill thank you so much for having me so let's start jamie by talking about the idea of becoming a magnet for for the very very best salespeople. what is the difference between attracting the best sales talent versus finding good talent available in the job market? And how can companies become a magnet for the top sales talent? And how does this relate to the idea of inbound versus outbound leads? Companies need to treat themselves no different than you would if you were selling your home, right? It's like the staging of a home, the development of online properties that give people a sense of a virtual tour of the culture of the organization, the working environment, the job description and role. Um, I, I often talk about this concept when sellers are approaching prospects and presenting them what I call the Emerald City Theory, which is if Dorothy landed on the, the, the top of the yellow brick road again, but somebody had have shown her in advance what actually the Emerald City and the was and the land of Oz would have looked like in advance, she would have been much more apt and excited to go on this venture. Using that same theory, the the idea is that the company, specifically the frontline sales managers that are doing the recruiting and or their internal recruiting arm, their responsibility is to create an environment, a digital experience where the the candidate is going to arm themselves with information to make informed decisions if they, in fact, would be a great cultural and working fit for your business in advance of the interview. So that the interview isn't you pushing and selling them. It's truly them inspiring to want to join this environment. Uh, Now let's talk a bit about uh, compensation. Uh, One of the biggest factors influencing a sales rep's decisions to, to leave an employer is the feeling that they, they should be receiving higher compensation for all their talents. And so how, how can companies ensure that their sales reps compensation plans and, and, and approach is not triggering, uh, triggering unwanted turnover. So how, how do we make sure that reps feel that they are, they are, they are wanted and rewarded accordingly? Uh, I, I actually disagree with that statement. I actually believe that if you're competing on price, you are commoditizing the role and you will lose nine times out of 10. In fact, there's been a bunch of studies that show on average the fourth most important element 
to somebody's decision for leaving an organization or the retention of happiness uh, in that particular job or function is in fact their salary and compensation. Most people end up leaving because they see two things happening. One, a lack of direction for the business uh, and long-term viability for their role, kind of like a macro environment. And then the second is the micro environment. Their direct manager um, is very difficult to work with. They don't get along. Most of the time, that's why people are leaving. And so and I look at my own business. My own business, I could never. I live in the city of Toronto. I am then competing against every major tech company on earth. I can't play that game. So as a small business, I have to use other levers that keep people engaged, such as 100% financial and business transparency. Make them feel like they're part of the decision-making process. Um, you know, excursions that big companies can't do. We rent a cottage every year where we all get together at a, at a corporate level. We bring in a boat and it just we do things that it's, it's kind of like guerrilla, it's guerrilla marketing for employment. What you're really trying to do is think what can us as a nimble small business, as an example, do that big companies can't. And that's the whole reason you have to lead to your strengths. This is the whole reason people are working with us. Um, so, I, you know, I disagree on the, on the compensation model. And I wouldn't be a compensation expert on the calculation of compensation. I would then be thinking of creative ways of retention, attraction and retention based on why people would want to ever be there. Uh, what, what are some of your tips to ensure that reps don't feel a lack of coaching from, from their boss? Yeah, my, and remember I was coming to where do, where do most sales professionals leave? And they leave because it's typically the relationship between the sales professional and the frontline sales manager. The sales professional hates two types of sale, uh, of, uh, of frontline sales managers. One, the one that is completely disengaged and provides no value uh, in the sales process. So basically the seller feels like they're on an island. The frontline sales manager manages by a spreadsheet. You as the sales professional get a sense, has this person ever actually done my job or are they just, you know, a calculator? The second is the opposite extreme. The one that wants to be on every call, do the ride along that clearly is demonstrating. I'm not really certain I trust anyone in the organization to do the job as well as I could have or when I used to do that job. So the role of the frontline sales manager is to aid the sales professional in the helping of closing deals. The best sales leaders are ones that can A, coach sales plays, design and coach sales plays that sellers couldn't have thought of on their own. So you're adding an incremental value. Number two, being an incredible resource to the customer. The other benefit of a great frontline sales manager is somebody that if I brought you into a meeting, you are the difference maker. You're the sales engineer. You are the solution expert that the customer feels more comfortable with as, a, as part of this partnership of selling to help us win deals. So, And then the third is if you can actually be a lead source. So you're bringing me leads. You're introducing me to your network. You're introducing me to past customers. That's the role of the frontline sales manager uh, and a VP of sales. If you're not, if you are not aiding and helping me make more money, then you have absolutely no value in my eyes. And that would be the reason that I would leave. So at the beginning of that process, when people are uh, being onboarded then, Jamie, you've, uh, you've already allu alluded to different uh, approaches that people can have 
when they come in. Some want to get out there and uh, meet all the customers straight away. Others are perhaps a wee bit more reluctant. But um, how can sales leaders ensure that their new sales hires have, have the, the structure and the training needed to succeed? So where, for example, does the HR team fit in with that? Yeah, so the very first thing that they should be doing on every new hire and every existing hire, this is the fundamentals to growing a sales organization. It's called competency benchmarking. Competency benchmarking is where you look at the skills that you believe, and is the more empirical evidence you can gather on this, the better, but the skills and capabilities that you believe are necessary to excel in a particular role. Then you test. You don't just subjectively look at people and use guesswork. You actually audit, you use audits and assessments and interviews. You identify a framework and compare them. I know there's a famous ones like DISC as an example, but that's just an element of competency benchmarking. You take the entire role and you benchmark every seller against best in class, against your competition, against what the most successful reps have as those skills in your organization. Then you plot everybody on a curve so they can, so you can understand strengths and weaknesses. And then you have a choice. Your choice is to either lean on your corporate or individual seller strengths as a competitive advantage, as a key capability, or you need to bring up the slowest in the herd. Basically, the weakest person in the team is probably dragging you down. So can I bring up their capabilities and skills to a baseline competency? that ensures that we all aligning to you know, our, our main sales objective, which is quota attainment. And then from there, you decide who sits on the team and who doesn't. Like, should we get rid of people? Should we add people? But if you don't understand the framework of what are the core skills necessary to actually excel in the role and you, and you measure people against it, well, then it's just guesswork. Then you're, then you're basically playing a popularity game. Let's talk about career progression now. How, how important is it to salespeople that they can grow into leadership roles? And Yeah, I think it's a misnomer to think that every seller one day wants to be a regional vice president or vice president of sales. You know, I, look at, I, I look at my best friend, right? And he has been a sales professional since we were in our 20s. Uh, he's 42 years old now. He has no inclination to be a director of sales or frontline sales manager. He is, he is if, you, if you analyzed him in the challenger sale of the five uh, traits and personality types, he's the lone wolf, right? He wants to do it his way. He, wants to, he loves the autonomy and freedom and flexibility of working from home. Uh, he doesn't want to be doing the road warrior work that a regional vice president has to do of, you know, sitting in on, on all of these sales meetings in an entire geography with all of the sellers. Um, it, so that role is not appealing. And there's, and it, it's really important that organizations recognize that the career progression doesn't have to be a ladder going from BDR to SDR to AE to manager to director to vice president. The career progression needs to be reverse engineered at the individual level and understand that some sellers are motivated by money. So there needs to be incremental growth in their salary and on target earning known as OTEs and that it moves beyond inflation, right? Like you're, you're moving up salaries at a certain rate. You're moving up their quotas at a certain rate. They just want to make lots of money, live, um, 
live a life from working from home. And then there are others that want to fast track into management roles before the age of 30. Those individuals, you're going to need to find a plan for them where they're doing maybe a year or two in various different roles in the organization to get a full sense of, uh, of the inner workings of the company. So everyone is different. And I have learned now after being now being 40 years old, I used to think that everybody wanted to follow the same career progression. It's the same concept with entrepreneurs. So few people actually want and can be entrepreneurs. Entrepreneurs might think, and they look backwards at it and think, well, doesn't everybody want to be an entrepreneur? Turns out that they don't. So you have to figure out what people really want and build a plan there. So a last couple of questions for you. A, a big one first. Any other factors not covered in this episode, which you believe will help companies retain and develop top sales pros? A seller needs to feel that they're evolving, either evolving financially or evolving from a skill set that will ultimately highly influence their financial compensation. Listen, I call it a bias because we're a training and consulting company, but there's I see the empirical evidence of companies using learning and development as an attraction and retention tool. Uh, there is no question that if you are not investing like education doesn't end when you graduate from university or your you get your MBA. Sales is evolving all the time, and if you're not investing in new tools, skills, capabilities, and and every year giving people, uh, you know, sharpening their battle axe, they're going to leave for greener pastures where they look around and they hear from friends. Oh, did you hear that this company sends you to three conferences a year? And they certify you on a new sales methodology every year. And, uh, you know, the average rep is hitting 105% of quota. Well, there's a correlation between learning and results. So it's clearly the companies that spend more on, on learning and development actually get better results. So let's move to that company. So I, that, that's just my opinion on it. Yeah, maybe the other company will sharpen your battle axe for you, right? Uh, that's always an advantage too. <laughs> and before we wrap things up for today, uh, how can our listeners learn more? Yeah, you can connect with me on LinkedIn. My name is Jamie Shanks. I'm the CEO of Sales for Life and happy to answer any of your questions. Perfect. Well, that just leaves me for today to say, Jamie Shanks, thank you as always for being a guest on the CPSA podcast. Thank you. Take care. Thank you for listening to the Sales Talent and Recruitment Show. Learn more about the training and benefits from the Canadian Professional Sales Association at cpsa.com.